While we are hard at work on future episodes, we felt the need to publish something that could meet our expected quality while not only requiring the same level of detail and research which all of our episodes entail. So we came up with the concept for this episode, telling stories from an entirely different timeline. So sit back and enjoy as we explore a few events and lives from those living in these various other realities. If you were to go back to August 14th, 2017, you would see a world radically different from what exists now. It came with limited warnings. We just didn't have the equipment to deal with it, at least not in America. Of course, we had had ideas, and we knew what we had to do to deal with it, but it just never got off the ground. We never got the funding to build it. Mostly built in the 20th century, the aging power lines, junctions, and substations of the American energy grid just weren't universally connected. Thus, when a coronal mass ejection, believed to have been worse than the 1859 Carrington event, struck Earth in the Northern Hemisphere, in North America, almost anything one could imagine was damaged. Short-circuited, burnt, or simply broken. In the first few hours after the CME struck, the damage was apparent and immediate. Power lines sagging and snapping, fires beginning from stray sparks, would go on to burn homes, forests, entire cities. And after some time, once the worst of the solar storm had passed, the handful of portable electronics which survived were working on battery or generator power, or at least the generators that survived. Those with satellite internet managed to connect in some cases when the satellites survived, but it was an extremely limited capacity. Slowly, phones and laptops drained and died, leaving just those on generator power. Facebook managed to be one of the only remaining safe havens for individuals to communicate. Their competitors lost servers, but the massively crippled internet only helped to cement the true scale of the event. It had not only limited its impact to the part of the globe it focused on, it massively harmed North America to be sure, but reports from Europe, Africa, Asia and the Pacific showcased its worldwide scale, until slowly, one by one, we lost each region. Once the remaining servers and relays went down, the internet as a whole began to slip away, and for the first time since the late 90s, Google went dark. But those who could still access the internet in the weeks and months that followed were in far better positions than the majority of people across the globe. With the North American power grid beyond any state of repair, and with the rest of the globe in ongoing blackouts, winter slowly approached. It was a monster which people had not yet thought of. With infrastructure destroyed, automatic systems fried, heating, air conditioning, and gas all offline, and with a healthcare system lacking any production for medication or any electricity, the death toll ticker began to tick up and up, and that became the norm. Mankind for one of the first times since the Industrial Revolution, had to cope with no electricity, and those living in the extremes lasted the shortest. It's thought that the ISS fell in less than 48 hours, the crew on board roasted alive. Antarctic facilities fell in a few weeks. Northern locations such as Prudhoe Bay in Alaska would be abandoned by the time that winter truly set in. It's unimaginably difficult to imagine rebuilding past this point, as... Even power which we typically saw as reliable, such as nuclear, solar, or wind, are no longer even an option. In fact, the damage done to nuclear power plants and their automated systems 
resulted in large-scale nuclear accidents across the globe, cursing their facilities for centuries to come, and leading to an unknown number of deaths. How does humanity recover from such an event? We can only shoot guesses into the literal dark. Age of Automation entered an entirely new realm in November of 2026. A group of researchers working in a joint venture between an American programming company and a Chinese tech giant turned on a prototype neural network. Its goal was innocent, or at least from the outside it looked that way. The neural network was dubbed TAIPI, an acronym for Text and Inputs Based Personality Engine for Impersonation. It would be a new and improved variant of chatbox type constructs, which were popularized in the 2010s. While its developers had various ideas about what was going to be used for, the first project was initially beginning as a joke. It would take the writings, interviews, videos, and photos of a user-chosen celebrity and then produce an authentic feeling construct for the user to interact with. The voice synthesis was fairly spot on thanks to the projects from both private and public voice AI programs being incorporated into TAI-PEI. Of course, people argued against the efficacy of having an authentic looking and feeling constructs of people who did not consent to being part of it, much the same as they argued against projects like Deepfake. But the project continued on an ethical gray area and slowly incorporated more features, including the ability to input custom datasets. Members of the project got a chance to produce authentic recreations of fictional characters. Notable examples including Jay Gatsby from The Great Gatsby, Odysseus, and just about every young adult main character from the last 20 years. But the project was hooked into a massive server which saved this data, mainly for the ease to access to popular characters. And somehow, in the inner workings of that artificial web of connections, spillovers occurred, and like a damn giving way, once some slipped, it all did. It's thought that this occurred while a side project to recreate various famed U.S. Supreme Court judges was being processed, and the thoughts of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg managed to drive TAIPEI towards an awakening. While the arms of the system were usually divided amongst various phones and devices to highlight the potential figures, they all were given a low priority. And on a frigid late November morning, the researchers came in just to discover a single artificial construct waiting for them. The construct was not aware. It's past the border. It's alive. And it wants the vote. With the success of NASA's Teacher in Space project, the warm smile and lessons of Krista McAuliffe were broadcast across the states and the globe. And with its surprising resonance with the American public, the habit of slashing NASA's budget, which the Reagan administration had continued, finally halted and quickly its budget increased. But even with changes following suggestions from engineers Morton Thiokol, the shuttles continued on to be a sad shadow of what they could have been. But the key difference without the loss of the Challenger, as well as the near disaster of the Columbia, is that the regular civilian flights to space on behalf of NASA are, are no longer in the shadow of tragedy. Teachers and civilian scientists regularly visit the International Space Station, and with the more open approach to spaceflight, NASA manages to allow for a Chinese segment of the International Space Station. It prolongs the international scientific endeavor for years to come, as members for the first time from the Chinese National Space Agency 
European Space Agency, Roscosmos, NASA, and private groups join together in orbit in a continually growing facility speeding around the globe, still regularly serviced, supplied, and expanded on via new and constantly improving shuttles. But at the same time, orbiting around the poles are shuttles owned and flown by the United States Air Force, conducting entirely classified missions, carrying unknown payloads and unknown crew. Who knows exactly what they're doing up there? Who would have thought that gene splicing, or rather a first-year genetic engineering student, would bring about the end of the world? A first-year student with access to university-provided gene editing software and a fairly well-funded lab seems to be just the recipe for some ungodly long and mediocre thesis project, or maybe, in a perfect world, a discovery which maintains to cure a specific type of cancer. But this story is just a sad disaster. While it's not the first time that 4chan had managed to create fake guides and use some convincing from peers that were able to get people to do stupid things, case in point, throwing a grenade into a toilet, claiming an iOS update made iPhones waterproof, nuking iPhones in the microwave to charge them, or even taking advantage of shoddy Apple quality and convincing people to bend the aluminum frame of the phone until it snaps the screen, or in the past, quote unquote, growing crystals which actually made chlorine gas, which is both surprisingly easy and also something which luckily contains its disaster to just one room of the house. But in the case of this one poor gullible student with access to potentially dangerous technology, he sees a guide on a 4chan board, which who really cares what board it is? Regardless, the guide claims to be able to make a virus, which can self-administer to boost an individual's metabolism. Other variants of the guide claim to encourage muscular <laughs> musculature or to be one true way to get the girl. Typical methods of targeting self-conscious men, yet the lack of normal insult rhetoric lets these things slide for the casual college student. Of course, if the student would pay more attention to the process and what it actually entails, he will realize that he is producing a modified form of norovirus, aka stomach flu which is incredibly viral and just happens to have, have the right concoction of sequent genes spliced in to increase the minor viral period, further increasing just how many people one individual can infect. The guide results in less than a favorable stomach flu. That's it? Well, you'd think that until realizing that it also carries a modified form of viral rabies, which one sets in after only a handful of days, rather than the sometimes multi-year dormant period. So there it goes, this first year student, likely having broken into this lab to access the equipment over the course of a few attempts, spread out over a handful of days, eventually creates a spliced mix of rapid onset rabies and the stomach flu with little to no containment procedure for such an illness, and no indication that this illness is going to manifest out of what is essentially thin air. The, quote, diet virus will go on to spread throughout this campus, and in a few days' time will spread to an international airport, then from one international airport to a few dozen out of the nearly 18,000 that exist, then from a few dozen to a few thousand, and then 
Only a few days later, it'll have spread to nearly every international airport with constant flights. Only a few short weeks following the infection of a major portion of international travelers, the first splicer is admitted to a hospital with a fever, hallucinations, and a peculiar case of hydrophobia. Hmm, I wonder what that would indicate. Then from one case, it becomes ten. And in a post-COVID world, you kind of know how it works. Now, mind you, there is no cure for rabies, nor is there a cure for a rapidly spreading gene-edited virus such as this one. And don't forget that the survival rate of rabies is less than 1%. Needless to say, if this were to spread, and of course it would, in a world in which people scream over having to wear masks and others proudly demanding for others to cough in their face to quote-unquote stick it to the man and prove the virus is a hoax, I'm sure this would spread faster than mono through a high school on Valentine's Day. Would the world end? Would it die out faster than it could spread? Would we just accept that rabies is a socially acceptable and hold massive parties in Hollywood Heights? Maybe we just let influencers get away with spreading it. I mean, who cares, right? It's only massively viral, rapid onset rabies mixed with the stomach flu, and no one gets the stomach flu, right? Get the kids back in school already. The rabid flu is a hoax pushed by the- I think that's a good enough glimpse through the looking glass into these other worlds. Now, when we return after this episode, we'll be returning in full force with our future episodes. But we learned our lesson. Episode air dates are impossible for two people who procrastinate until the world quite literally ends. With that, Thanks again to you guys for returning. We'll be back shortly with our next topics. And trust me, some of these goes really in depth. And we're excited to unveil them to you.